Welcome to Incremental, the Continuous Improvement Podcast. I am Devin Bodoni. And I'm Uriel Eisen. And today we're going to follow up on our focus from last week on production leveling uh, with more discussion about production management. Specifically, how do we figure out what we're doing from minute to minute? (laughs) Sounds like a simple thing, but it uh, turns out to be a very challenging thing to tackle, especially in a system where you work on a build to order or a pull system. (coughs) Excuse me. We're also going to go over some listener questions related to uh, tooling, how to get started on this stuff, uh, best way to, you know, uh, implement your time and money. And then um, we'll go over some of our little improvements and failures from this last week. Yeah, sounds like a plan. <laughs> yeah. Um, also had a little quote I heard this this week that, that I quite liked. Um, it's attributed to Einstein, whether or not he said it, I don't know. Um, <laughs> said, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes thinking about the problem and five minutes thinking about solutions. Um, yeah, just kind of really resonated with a lot of the stuff I've been reading about lean and TPS. Um, I think it also like, I, I feel like in our conversations over the last two years, there's been a, a slow shift in how we kind of approach problems. <laughs> I think that's true. Which yeah. is, and it, it resonates with that. I think there was a, I, I, speaking for myself initially, I feel like often I would kind of come at it with like, well, here's my formulaic kind of solutions. And now I feel like there's a lot of like, okay, what's the problem? Okay, what's really the problem? Yeah. Okay, what's actually the problem? <laughs> and then it yeah. seems like once we kind of get to a spot where we're like, okay, pretty sure that might actually be the problem, then sort of starting to tackle solutions. Yeah, I would say Toyota says ask why five times. Yeah. <laughs> I would say maybe I started at one time and right. now maybe I'm at three times. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Similar. Still some work. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> I like it. Um. Yeah, so some uh, thanks for the questions, by the way. Uh, we picked a few of them to throw in here and try to talk about briefly. Um, one is around standardized tooling and redundant tooling to prevent downtime. Um, this is a big topic, honestly, but um, it is. I think it cannot be overstated that standardized tooling is important um, for a variety of reasons. I think so, like, if we're putting this in the context of machining, maybe we should put it in a different context for conversation's sake. If we were to put it in the the uh, context of a kitchen again. I feel like a kitchen is a kind of a cool thing because it's like this production. It's this production system that we all interact, like everybody interacts with yeah. in one way or another. And we right. kind of ha- understand the concepts. But if you had a, uh, if you had a kitchen, a production kitchen where every single order required a new size pan, <laughs> It would like, obviously it wouldn't work. So you have to kind of decide I'm going to have, you know, uh, several 10 inch skillets. I'm going to have a few saucepans that are medium size, a few saucepans that are small and one big pot. Yeah. And I think like something I think about a lot is sort of um, in design in terms of systems and mechanical design and every type of design is sort of like thinking about what the limits of the space are of the solution space. So like if you... Um, if you push it to the absolute extreme of having one pan per thing you cook and never needing to reuse it. Sure. (laughs) That's interesting. Um, and I think it's also useful. So a pan is a good example because it makes it very obvious because of its size relative to the size of a kitchen, right? You can't store a thousand pans. I think the problem is that in a shop, 
A, you can just rent a bigger and bigger shop, which tends to be what people are doing anyway, right, as you grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is if you're doing dealing with like end mills or something really small, it can seem trivial because you can just stick it in a drawer, yeah. right? You can have thousands of these things. But I think exploring the limits of the space tells you that there's a lot of waste built into that approach in general and that yeah. you should actually approach the other limit, which is having one tool to do everything, which is obviously unrealistic <laughs> as well. <laughs> and um, yeah, somewhere in that middle space is is a good solution. Yeah. I sort of fell into this just out of necessity, um, running a, a not a lean shop as in lean manufacturing, but a lean shop as in not having a lot of capital. Uh-huh. And um, also being sort of like, uh, strapped for time and not wanting to spend a bunch of time researching new tools and not wanting to spend Mm. a bunch of money on extra tools. So these are, I guess, our lean principles that just kind of fell into it by accident because it's same way Toyota did (laughs) a necessity. Um, I just started essentially buying the same tools over and over that kind of worked. I tried other stuff and the stuff that I, that, you know, I didn't tend to repeat order, stop being a standardized tool. Um, and then this was actually the first thing that we applied Kanban to in our shop was, uh-huh. was tooling. Interesting. To, so to like take it one step further to make sure that we never ran out because I would still right. kind of manually manage that inventory. Um, and this, I think this is another place we were talking about a few episodes back about automation in small shops and taking cues from prototype shops instead of production environments Hmm. um a lot of the articles i've read about very successful prototype shops have a standardized tool library that they never vary from it's interesting so as far as i understand right it's hard to imagine never any variation because there's like you know you get weird features like an internal o-ring groove or something and right you got to have a key seat cutter probably or maybe they just don't take that job i don't know but I think, or maybe they have some KC cutters set up as standards. Possibly, I'm thinking of one in, in particular article where the the guy was like, "We have 30 tools. They're oh. the same in every machine, and we cut every part with those 30 tools." I would guess they have 30 tools plus three or plus five. It might that be, sort yeah. of go in there. Yeah, but, um, but I think that's it's really important. And that fl- if we take it back into the machining space, that flows through to your CAM programming. It yes. Makes the, your tool library management and programming so much simpler makes your setup simpler um and yeah reduces your total cost and tooling so kind of can't be overstated how important it is i mean 5sing is like a big thing like anytime people talk about lean 5sing and Mm -hmm. sweet sort standardize yeah 3sing yeah right so it's yeah it's really really up there as a as a easy way to maybe not easy but as a very available way to uh, reduce yeah. capital investment, reduce time searching for things, um, reduce failures because you forgot to program it correctly and yeah. <laughs> you put in the wrong feed per tooth. Um, and then in terms of preventing downtime, um, I think that touches on the Kanban idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, we have a drawer of, of our standard production tools that are all Kanban at you know, an appropriate level um and sort of all the information you need on each tool has a bin so like even for our gripper and that that has spare parts like screws and uh those bushings that go in the fingers i need to get some of those (laughs) um oh yeah uh they're pretty cheap um 
Yeah, so that's big. I mean, there's a funny one, like we have uh, the phase converter to go from single phase to three phase in the shop, and that has these capacitors. Oh, yeah. And I was just thinking about like, do we stock those to prevent downtime? Apparently, they have a shelf life and, and they should be good for about three years. So do I set a calendar reminder at year two to order new ones <laughs> and have them on hand? Do you just commit to spending $50 to overnight them? And then the rest of that day when it goes down is your... <laughs> out i don't like uh, yeah i don't know I, it might just be an on schedule thing um like a sort of taking a cue from like aviation or commercial shipping oh true where you where just you just do it you just replace it on schedule regardless of whether it's necessary probably the move you kind um, of treat it like the batteries your backup batteries in your machine <laughs> basically like you just change these every year just because you right. do regardless <laughs> right. of whether they're bad yeah and i guess also, that's how people treat tooling, which is something I really need to tackle as tool life management and proactively change things instead of after you start seeing yeah. issues in your parts. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, just the relative cost of like, for me, we're doing aluminum with carbide tooling. I mean, we get thousands of parts off each tool, Yeah, assuming we don't break them. Yeah. <laughs> but that's only really our roughing mill that sometimes breaks when parts lift out of the right vice from our automation, not loading them properly. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, anyway, it's preventing downtime. I think that comes to like managing your Kanban uh, quantities properly. Yeah. Assuming and that's how you're going to do it. And like all this stuff, I think that stuff becomes extremely apparent once you organize other systems in the shop. Like yeah. as you start to reduce inventories, as you start to reduce buffers in different places, as you approach single piece flow, these failures, which I think we're going to talk about a little more later, more in depth, but these failures start to become very clear where before you start systemizing the different processes in the shop, I think everything is so unstable and so variable that it's hard to pinpoint exactly what happened. Yeah. So like what we've found is definitely as we've <clears throat> organized different systems, like we had, and this is a funny example, we had a rubber band. We have an, a rubber band that actuates one of our assembly fixtures uh -huh. <laughs> and it does work. Um, and the rubber band broke and we didn't have a backup rubber band. <laughs> and I spent 10 minutes looking around for a rubber band and that was in like production, right? So like yeah. our assembly station stops for 10 <laughs> minutes while I'm like looking around for a, a you know, a three cent piece that we just didn't have Kanban and we didn't have standardized. And so like, yeah, I don't know, like these things matter. Yeah. Um, and totally. Well, should we jump into the next one? <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. we should probably hit a, a little faster. Pace. I guess he did put redundant in there as well. Um, I don't think either of us run redundant tooling in the machine, not in the machine. So yeah. that's something I can't really speak to. Well, but... we do keep redundant tooling in the shop in the shop. Yeah. I don't know if that's what he meant, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, rules of thumb for getting started as a noob. Um, I would say the fact that you're aware of this podcast and writing in you're started. I mean, honestly, for me, it was just getting it, like super intrigued a couple yeah. years ago. And then it's like, oh, what do I do next? And I started reading books. Reading books is a pretty I think reading books is important. You've done a lot more reading than I have. Hmm. Um, but that was definitely kind of like a turning point for me and in, in like actively engaging in this. Yeah, I would say in general, like being curious about it is definitely step one but the biggest thing and i think like coming around to actually spending time every day doing this stuff is a huge shift but i would say even just starting with setting aside time to do it once a week 
once a month, like whatever it is to actively set aside time to start doing it. I think once you start doing that, you will slowly increase the amount of time that you're committing to improving. And I don't think that improving necessarily needs to be working on your processes. It can also be on researching the subject. Mm-hmm. Like I have a friend who is sort of like begrudgingly getting into continuous improvement because I keep bothering him about it. He runs a <laughs> business and it's like, I, you know, you got to do it. Um, I don't know. I, I would say also like, I, I find that this has been a pretty organic process and it's kind of like I integrate what I understand. And then sort of delve in a little deeper. Yeah. So I'd say like if there's stuff that you already see that you're not doing that you're aware of needs to be done or you would like to do, start with that. And once you feel like you've tackled it, um, move on to the next thing. The one cool thing about all of this stuff is I don't feel like I don't feel like you can kind of get off on the wrong foot so much is like you could kind like get of. obsessed about like one aspect maybe too much and yeah and i i did that for sure what i was gonna say is like this is a skill just like everything else and i think the only way to get better at it is to practice yeah so the one piece i would say is um i think sort of setting aside specific time like specific times where you're doing it conversely also then jumping back into like running your business and not doing it because i think early on it was very easy for me to sort of like a pick the wrong process to like refine Mm -hmm. and maybe i'm still doing that i don't know um (laughs) and then like spend a lot of time refining it um and also just starting off like um kind of on the cheaper side i think i think if i were to start again like we've been on this big like color coding kick Mm -hmm. and it is so cheap and it is so fast and it is so impactful yeah it's not sexy from an engineering standpoint, <laughs> right. from a mechanical engineering standpoint. I think yeah. it's really sexy from a human factors standpoint. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'd probably like there's uh, Paul Akers, two second lean. Um, I'd, I I think it's a it's a really I think it's a it's a very good entry point from a lot of a lot of perspectives. A, there's a high emphasis on um, low cost improvements, both in time and money. Mm-hmm. And I think the wisdom there is kind of you need you're not going to do a good job when you start, I think, at improving things in a like best bang for your buck kind of. Do you know what I mean? Like potentially. Yeah, I, I'll I, actually I don't know. I might push back on that a yeah. little bit. And then I think there are some like massively impactful things you can do for zero money right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like I would say, assuming this I, I didn't see who this question came from, but assuming that you produce a product, like if you're not doing single piece flow or not trying to get closer to single piece flow, like start there. Mm-hmm. And that's going to, it's just kind of, that's like a foundational principle. <clears throat> um, and if you can start to integrate that, that's going to start to inform everything else in the shop. If you're already doing that, like, yeah, start, start tackling like small improvements here and there, but like, you do need to start with some foundational principles. I, I think like you'd yeah. be improving a lot in the shop, but if you're still yeah, running think, batch processes right. and stuff right. and like not doing some of the foundations, then you might be a little bit like putting lipstick on a pig. Yeah. It's still helpful, but I think it's not massively impactful. Yeah. Whereas yeah. like switching from batch processes to attempting a single piece flow will cost $0 and we'll probably have a, yeah, like, 
I can't even state how big of an impact it's going to have on like how smoothly your processes go and, and yeah. all of these things. So if you're not doing that, start with that. That actually, that's mm. my advice. <laughs> Move to, like, yeah. And I would say, even if you don't actually get there, cause not many people do, including Toyota. Yeah. Um, I think just, yeah. Becoming aware of that as the direction you should be moving instead of the other starts. Yeah. I think that will actually like keep you kind of on track in terms of making good improvements. Cause I yeah. think the flip side is often, and you see a ton of this in industry, like tool suppliers who have clearly optimized their equipment for bigger bashes. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's a faster per piece through that one station, but yeah, that, that's a pretty limited view. Yeah. So I guess to summarize all that, I would say definitely read books, um, set aside specific times to work on improvements. Um, yeah, there's this weird, which we mentioned last episode, a funny dichotomy between like the things we work on are very small things, but I think it's really important to maintain that really zoomed out system, like system view. Um, there's a lot of talk about like Toyota's uh, leaders being system, good systems thinkers. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a big thing that differentiates um, Toyota, but also people who start working on this stuff is really making sure that your improvements are moving in a direction that makes for a maximally efficient system, not for a maximally efficient station. Yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And I think it's really easy, especially early on, to start optimizing a station. Yeah. Uh, next question is best cheap improvement in time or money. This kind of ties into the last one a little bit. I think it depends on your on your business, on your production system. Um, I'm going to go back to single piece flow. <laughs> Costs nothing, probably. Um, yeah, that's a really hard one to answer because it really is so so much yeah i mean i would say some super concrete ones for me color coding is high on the list sure um visual controls is sort of high on the list like uh i don't know this is not something we're doing enough of but like i think it's going to become a bit more of a focus in the coming weeks um i was packing an order the other day and uh closed up the package and then found a part that was meant to be inside of it uh -huh. and i think a lot of that is because our there's visually too much happening at our shipping station. And so mm -hmm. it's not very apparent when something is out of standard. Yeah. Um, so I think just like, yeah, n making that a little cleaner and neater. I was um, going to say, and this kind of ties into that, but like rearranging your space is, is a huge one. And then like optimizing your stations. So early on, I had kind of heard that, you know, like the refrain that lean doesn't apply to job shops and, mm -hmm. and all this and kind of like veered away from standardized like tooling at the machines, but then pretty, pretty quick into it. I was kind of like, well, we use the same tools at every machine every day. So setting up a good station, you know, like in our case, we do all the tooling for a setup and to run up run parts is basically at each machine and dedicated. So we have all the Allen keys. We need the mm -hmm. torque wrenches, a one, two, three block for, you know, just lining stuff up or whatever. And, um, those are tend to be very cheap and Lord have mercy. They save a lot of time not having to walk around the shop and find totally. stuff. So that's a huge one. Yeah. And I would say, um, there's a an eight hour day 
is uh, 480 minutes. And I think like if you're trying to, if you go backpacking and you're trying to have a light backpack, whenever you go through, I've done this a few times, go through someone's gear to help them shave weight. Uh-huh. And it's like, oh, but that's only this much weight. It's like, right. Cause you're not carrying any like huge bricks in here. Yeah. So we can't pull <laughs> anything out. That's massively heavy that you simply do not need. Yeah. It's all going to be small savings. But I think just like, like saving five minutes out of your day doing like really dumb stuff, mm-hmm. like walking around looking for Allen keys, for example. Yeah. That's a big percentage gain. Like if you can shave five minutes out of your day, that's like a five, you know, that's a almost a 10% or slightly over 10%. Yeah. Efficiency gain. So which bringing this back to like economics, I think, I don't know what it's like in a lot of other industries, but I would guess it's fairly similar. Um, you know, decent profit margin and, and, manufacturing tends to be like 15%. Yeah. So if you can stack a bunch of 10% gains in efficiency through your process, that's going to it's going to make a big difference. Yeah, and oftentimes that doesn't feed right back into profits immediately, no. but uh, by year 3 a lot of people triple their profits, so. Yeah, and you know. but it's in that same kind of like scale. I think we often are like these are such small things and you're like, well, yeah, but there's no big things. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, except yeah. rearranging your shop, yeah. single piece flow. Single piece flow is huge. It's huge. Yeah. Um, shipping right. improvements. Shipping improvements. Um, yeah, plenty. I think it depends where you're shipping. But again, it comes back to standardization. It comes back to, I think, understanding. I think there's. it's easy to get caught in this view that everything we do is an exception, is a unique set of parameters that need to be addressed. Yeah. Instead of looking for like the common ground across that. So for shipping, if you ship a bunch of one off items, and it's like, well, it's hard to systemize because we pull a bunch of different box sizes, and we're using different packing materials, depending on the parts you're shipping. Um, I'd say buy a label printer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> buy a label printer. Uh, definitely set up a shipping station. I think yeah. that's one thing I saw early on when I started this business was if you're doing e-commerce or if you're if you're shipping frequently, like have a dedicated shipping station. Yeah. And it does make a huge difference. And then you have a sh- a station where you can sort of start to optimize that. Um, yeah. We our shop transitioned from when I was working alone. It was primarily people would pick up their stuff from the shop. OK. And now primarily we ship everything. And uh, yeah, it took me a little bit longer than I'd like to admit to set up a dedicated shipping station. Yeah. Um, but it made a big difference. I don't actually do the shipping so I'm not super in depth in it. Yeah. Um, but we, we have continued to refine that and yeah, having everything you need in one spot again, comes back to in like the in station setup, refining that. Yeah. And then this covers a few of these questions, like cheapest, best improvement. I almost said, uh, I don't know if, if you follow us on Instagram, um, I just added a bin at each station that has one Sharpie, one pen and where needed one utility knife. Oh yeah. It is huge. Yeah. Huge. There's so much ambiguity when you are holding a pen about where you should put it down. Yeah. And then also ambiguity every time you reach for a pen where you should pick it up. Do you color code them? So they not yet, but we will. Yeah. Yeah, To color code it back to the station. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That will happen. But already it's just like I need a pen and there's a pen. I not only know exactly where it is, but I know exactly what I'm going to pick up. Like I, we had the approach of let's have a cup of pens at each station because you should never be looking for a pen because they're so cheap. Yeah. Turns out that then you just spend some time rifling through that cup to find the one pen you actually want every time. Or usually they end up 
there you're in your head you're like there's a bunch of pens in here i don't have to put this one back and then pretty <laughs> right. soon there's no pens <laughs> yeah and then you go hunting for a pen yeah. yeah anyway so the one pen is way better and then it's basically breadcrumbed back to a supply of pens so which just means whatever you put a label on there that says if you need another pen go here mm. which speaking of which we need with now with more people in the shop i'm realizing we need our kanbans to tell people where to put things back like where to restock things when they come oh, in oh yeah that's been a started to become an issue where we'll have to say oh where are the gloves or where are the mm-hmm. yeah so that's an easy fix but not super easy because right now it's sort of all dispersed yeah i think we're gonna need a set of shelves or something that is sort of like you know a one two three whatever and bays or something yeah or that like for our tooling we have a matching kanban that's a different color in the bin okay so that you can just match the card oh, in your okay. hand to the card in the thing uh-huh um you have to have some under but I mean, you have one big drawer or one <clears throat> chest of tooling or something yeah, like so that it, yeah. yeah it has to be in their general place but then for right. finding the specific okay it seems like there's a variety of ways you could tackle that yeah or maybe we have a highlight color for storage mm-hmm. items or something because at each station i don't know anyway so something to be done there yeah but. interesting finding the balance of developing in-house versus buying and this ties in with one of your yeah questions as well and i think probably there's no answer to this that's across the board right but maybe maybe there's some sort of a so rubric we can <laughs> yeah i mean so toyota i think much to my consternation um every time they talk about developing things in-house they're like it's three to five times cheaper yeah which just the second you read that you're like are they counting engineering time are they count like it just seems crazy Mm-hmm. That said, like we mentioned last time, they are quite, you know, they're notoriously rational. Uh, so uh, they're probably right. But I was wondering if what they're talking about there are integrations of existing tools. Like if you look at a production line for Toyota, mm-hmm. it is a whole bunch of robots. They are not building the robots. That said, they do have ownership stake in Nachi, I think. But they're not building the robots. They are integrating a bunch of off-the-shelf parts, right? Uh-huh. I was thinking about this from a mechanical perspective. If you designed a mechanical system, I'm not sure that that Toyota would develop a new bolt or a new nut for that system, right? I don't know if that is three to five times cheaper to build a nut because those are very available. It would depend probably on whether it's a cust- the the quest the con- uh, the comparison would be if they needed a custom nut. Yes. Would well, they do it themselves no. or hire it out? Yeah, exactly. But I think it's worth thinking about which pieces are custom actually mm-hmm. in terms of deciding whether to big, build stuff in-house or send it out. Mm-hmm. And I think where people, I think, I'm wondering if what Toyota is encouraging is to shy away from hiring out integration essentially of standard components I think when you get into software, that becomes really hard because it's sort of a big package. It's not like you're buying a, I don't even know what the piece, the sub pieces <laughs> of a, of code would be, but yeah. like, right. So like that gets tricky, but in terms of like, I don't know, I'm not sure like, okay, a vibratory tumbler. Yeah. Should we build it in house versus buying it? That is very near like a unit, a standard unit that, that, 
that you can just buy off the shelf. It doesn't have a lot of extra bells and whistles that you don't need. Right. Um, and I would say one one caveat to that would be, of course, if you need a custom uh, tumbler, mm-hmm. then it likely does make sense to build it in house. But chances are good that you could buy a standard base or that you could write like a vibratory base and just yeah. build your own bowl or so something. Like probably I think- what they're talking about is like if you needed to set up uh, an automated feeding system to a tumbler and an outfeed and stuff like that like building that whole machine and system as one you could do in-house but still buying the parts off the that's sort of my thought is like yeah buy the parts but integrate it yourself so that you understand how it's put together because the second if you're talking about custom machines and i have friends who build custom machines yeah like you are really tied to whoever builds that for you yeah in a big way yeah i built a custom machine for for somebody and they were very tied to me (laughs) yeah and so i think that said most of the parts of that custom machine were probably not custom right like Uh, no well extrusion or yeah a plc or (laughs) i probably should have used more extrusion (laughs) okay yeah but yeah i mean yeah i think you're right i mean it kind of comes back to the the old uh maybe the dividing line would be sort of like product versus service where but and then the old like i don't know what you call it and it's not an adage really but the saying of like don't don't make what you can buy right and sort of it's like don't don't make the the hardware that you can buy but do your yeah. service if you're going to pay someone a service to integrate those things or to design a system and manufacture it using off the shelf components maybe that's something you do in house yeah, and I think another reason to do that is that you're going to understand your process a lot better. I would say a caveat to that is like approach the the problem portion of that like like Einstein would, yeah. right? Like spend a lot of time making sure you fully understand the needs of that system that you're thinking about buying. And that is something that you will need to do well anyway if you're going to hire it out. Yeah. And if you don't, you're just going to be unhappy with the results or you're that working in partnership is not going to be good. I'm keeping an eye on the time here. Yeah. We gotta... One large caveat to that would be that um, be realistic about your bandwidth. Yes. And, and also your like your in-house capability. Like we talked about prior, um, Toyota has a massive engineering team. They have massive, you know, production capacity, et cetera. So like if you're a one man shop and you're like, going or you know a one person shop doing or any kind of business and you're like full gas every day just keeping up with your stuff don't expect that you're going to realistically take on a big side building project without that either affecting production or affecting the rest of your life so possibly but if you're building that into that one hour a day like if you're full gas all day i would still encourage you to take a full hour every day to improve your processes and if if the top, which I find it hard to believe that your top return on invested time and money would be building a custom machine. Mm-hmm. So chances are, <clears throat> anyway, ch- yeah. Yeah. Anyway, All right. Yeah, let's jump into the next thing. So this will be our uh, kind of like main main focus leveling. How we're going to talk about that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a big um, problem. This is something I keep chewing on and it's sort of tough as you walk into the shop and minute to minute knowing what to do next. 
I suspect I'm spending a lot of mental capacity and time wandering around aimlessly. Well, not aimlessly. My aim is to figure <laughs> out what I should do. Um, so it's sort of like, go check on this machine, make sure it's running. Okay, it is running. Well, should I go fill some orders and assemble some buckles? Or should I unload the tumbler so we can put in the next batch? Or should I go over to the CNC and make sure that whatever's running next is ready to, is all set up and ready to go? Or do I go paint or rack parts or QC <laughs> parts? Or like, and, and assuming certain things like you walk in in the morning and nothing's going. What do you walk over to first? Yeah. And so I think what I'm sort of wrestling with is how much do you build an explicit plan, right? Of like, I walk into the shop, minute one, I do this, minute two, I do that. Then I walk here and do that. And the issue with building that very rigid plan is if you are assuming that your production responds to demand, then what you're going to need to do every day is not exactly the same with the caveat of production leveling, where if you've properly leveled your production, day-to-day -day should be largely the same, mm -hmm. but shifting over time. And so does that mean you have a few different plans? Do you build a loose plan of like, right now <laughs> we sort of have it divided, and this may be backward in a pull system, but we have it divided where before lunch we're sort of focusing on production and after lunch we focus on making sure the the orders for the day get shipped uh -huh. the rationale there is once production is sort of rolling there's a lot of stuff that just happens in the background like yeah the mill needs to start and then can run for a while for a while yeah. the certain like different ovens are are running so like there's a lot of stuff that kind of can go and then that gets back to like prioritizing your tasks in the shop there's some tasks which we've started to identify as sort of and i don't know what to call this exactly there's some processes where you need a little bit of like human time and then run a lot on their own. There's yep. some processes that are these short chunks that can easily be interrupted for us. That's like assembling buckles, right? It's like three minutes per strap. Yeah. So if you pause in the middle to go unload the tumbler and then you can reload the tumbler and it runs for two hours again. Yeah. Do you interrupt someone to do that? Do you let them finish? I don't know. So these, and I think there's a ton of time and mental load going on. Yeah. Uh, sunk into this like pretty <laughs> silly problem. Yeah. And then there's the kind of the, uh, there's the big picture prioritization, which is kind of like, okay, like these things have to be produced today. And there's prioritizing that. And mm -hmm. then there's the small stuff of like sort of personal in-station prioritization, like you're talking about of like juggling when you walk away from a station to continue another process. It, right. process. And they're, you know, obviously related, but separate. The, the in, like the, the personal choices of like, when do I stop this task to go do a different task and come back to this task? I think that's something that either has to be kind of baked into your, your people as like, how do you like, yeah, I think you have to kind of have a standard operating procedure a little bit of being like, yeah, these, these sort of tasks are, um, s sort of subject to, or, uh, subordinate to these other tasks because of that kind of thing where like, yeah. keep this, like, we kind of have that in the shop. It's like in, in our shop where it's like, yeah, work on this improvement thing in your free time but if the machine stops go start the machine again right 
don't, it, that's higher priority. Um, and so I think that kind of, you have to fall back on standard operating procedures a little bit where you just have it be like, these things are subordinate to these other things. Yeah. And, and manage yourself basically within that. <clears throat> and then the, mm-hmm. the larger flow I think is a little bit bigger of a challenge. We had a, that conversation a couple of weeks ago off, you know, on the phone where I was expressing how much the, uh, the job board has helped with that. And I think I'm not sure if you talked about integrating that at all, but putting all of your Kanbans in one place so that you can see them relative to each other. Yeah. It's definitely something we've been talking about. Yeah. And I like the idea and I think we might do it even if it's just as a step to learn about prioritization, like what could we change on the board to make it visually apparent? What should be addressed first? You can almost do it like, you know, like the classic, like fundraising thing. No. You know, where they put like a hundred thousand dollars raised of a million desired or whatever. And they just like fill up the little thing. Where it's like if you you just have you could color code it where it like turns different colors and at the top it's red. It's like this yeah. needs to happen. If like Kanban's have filled up to a certain level, it's like okay, that has to happen now because that is clearly backlogged. Yeah, I think my suspicion is that leaning on people to make those decisions is not the move for a number of reasons. One is your like which decisions the big decisions or the the station, the sort of in-station optimization stuff. I think for two reasons, one is it's mental load. The second and probably more important one is that I think sort of bottlenecks you in terms of improving because you're not testing a, an explicit method of prioritization. You're talking about not using standard operating procedures. I would say explicit only using standard operating procedures with with no judgment, essentially uh-huh. no in station judgment, uh-huh. right? Like if this is triggered, that gets done before this. In this station, we only stop like in our assembly station right now. And I think we should in saying this, we should make it explicit. You only stop working there if you've finished an order. Uh-huh. Like you don't stop in the middle of an order because you get. Yeah. Rejects you get or or like mistakes and stuff, right? Like I think making all these explicit forces you to to run a a, 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 you know a scientific test on a hypothesis (laughs) Uh and then chances are learn that that hypothesis was not quite right. But then as a team you can refine it instead of everyone sort of getting better and worse, but it's super unapparent how anyone is making the decisions. Yeah. I don't know. That would be my kind of this also sort of comes so that's back. not very actionable <laughs> which part what, what i'm just saying like i don't know literally today when we finish up recording and i go into the shop what am i doing and where am i looking for that information uh-huh is a little unclear to me yeah the thought i just had is this kind of comes back to like the moving bottleneck issue Mm-hmm. And that really like totally. we're trying to manage a system in a way that maybe isn't sustainable in the sense that like you're trying to do it with too little labor. I think that's partially true. Like I did get that feedback from someone else of sort of you can't have flow if you only have one person working a ton of stations because yeah. actually everything waits while that person walks around. Yeah. But I think, again, getting back to that, like exploring the limits. Yeah you're always going to have that to a degree. You, 
you don't have someone literally picking up a screw and screwing it in and that's all they're i mean sometimes that happens (laughs) but very rarely like even i mean i've toured like big facilities who are assembling whatever electronics and you'll have one station where they're putting in screws and maybe flipping a thing and inserting the you know putting on the back of the casing and putting in more screws and then whatever right like it's a set of actions it's not like literally one action yeah um typically so like i don't think that is a hard i don't think the answer is like we need to hire someone at every single station no but maybe making an explicit division of like Uh uh-huh interesting you know this person's responsible for this group that's an interesting idea and this person's responsible for this group and then you can you know if there's an issue with grouping all of your kanbans in one place and you wanted to have like you you could set a an operating procedure for check this check this check this if you know if then, i like that yeah and if, even if it doesn't cut on cut down on time right now uh-huh. it would definitely help us learn right like we're still walking around the shop which is silly and can be fixed yeah but just as a precursor to say building like a bunch of lights that are that aggregate that data on one board yeah, I don't know if we need to jump into that project before we have a very clear understanding of how to prioritize. Well, maybe you like treat it like zone defense in sports where it's like Interesting. instead of dividing up tasks by like expertise, you literally divide it by like space in the shop so that like a person can like look at a thing, turn around, look at a thing, look, turn around, look at a thing, not walk around the shop. But I like that. Yeah. I feel like that should have been obvious to me, <laughs> but that is a very good point. Yeah. Um, I think I do think having all of the information in one place, like I think, yeah, if you had a giant factory, having all your Kanbans in one place wouldn't work. But since you are in a small factory and that waste is so minimal comparatively of walking an additional 10 feet to look at the board or making it just visually visible from everywhere in the shop, I do think there's potentially a lot of benefit to be gained from having it all just the fact that you can compare it all against it everything yeah. else in and now that space. you say that as you as you added workers to a system i wonder if like i'm gonna I'm trying to think like uh companies let's say toyota's factories now yeah that may be true for every one person that they have a place where they can look to know what to do do you know what I'm saying? And so uh-huh. like maybe I need to treat that the same for us now. Is my station is the whole shop. Yeah. But applying all the same rules that you sort of tried to apply within one quote unquote station to the whole shop mm-hmm. might be worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Right. Like in your shipping area, you sort of ideally have all the information you need to do your work. Yeah. In one place. Uh-huh. And I wonder if we can apply that same idea to. Well, also, I wonder if there's any additional movement like of with the Kanban cards, like presumably you have to walk the card to the, the place where it gets picked up. Yeah. And or yeah, wherever it's being produced, the, the yeah. prior process. But if there's just an intermediate station where it sits prior to going to that next process, mm-hmm. like there's not extra movement. Hopefully. And if even if central. there is, my suspicion is that that would not be a long term solution. Uh-huh. But I suspect it would be super informative to run for like a year yeah. or something. It seems Maybe. like most of, not that I've watched that many tours, but most of the tours I've seen have sort of a central hub 
yeah that you can look at and see sort of the status of everything the load in the on shop. that area or something or often the whole huh. shop okay it seems like I, I guess i'm thinking specifically back to that closet doctor one uh-huh where it was like they had a whiteboard right with the hat the all their schedule all of the traveler or you know all of the right. checklists for every job was there yeah and could be compared and yeah I, so they have a separate kanban area for supplies for supplies yeah so maybe that's separate yeah, I guess maybe that's external the question. External orders is, versus internal orders? Is that the differentiator? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you don't that. really like your Yeah. I want that is an interesting thing to think about is like how yeah, how you link those two because you're because they're not like explicitly linked until the very end of the process. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um Definitely mulling that one over. Um, I'm very curious to hear about your linked process fail. <laughs> yeah. So this, this last week was kind of rough, honestly. Um, but it's cool to, to have. So basically we, we had, I wouldn't call it like a cascade. It was more like a convergence of small failures mm -hmm. that all kind of came together at once and ground the whole shop effectively to a halt well not i mean not entirely <laughs> one three of the four uh cnc machines one was running for a day um or maybe two um there were uh, ariel and quorum were still busy doing stuff because mm -hmm. there was a lot of things to some deburring which it's another question why they were deburring but there was a lot of packing to be doing to be done deburring so they at least they weren't like standing idle Right. But essentially we had uh we had a large quote package come in that was like a big sort of interruption in my schedule. And also like I'm was, not sure everyone would know what a quote package is, including me. Yeah. So <laughs> basically we received a, a quite a number of prints that we had to quote parts. So we had to quote parts. Okay. Um they were all relatively complex somewhat high stakes in the sense that I wanted the job. So I was putting maybe more attention to it than usual. Sharpen, sharpening the proverbial pencil. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it, it took up a bunch of time. I did an interesting thing where I timed a simple quote mm -hmm. in my process, which I was going to do anyway, because I kind of wanted, I've been contemplating this automated quoting software. So like a, like a run of the mill part out of like a material that we use all the time from like opening an email from a customer to sending them a quote was like 10 minutes. Wow. So not too bad. That's, that seems good. Yeah. But then this big package <laughs> took me like over half a day. Uh, across how many parts? Across, uh, what was it? It was like 12. So isn't that I think 20 minutes? 20 minutes? Maybe. Cause what's that? Four four hours say? sure yeah so four oh no no i'm totally wrong i'm so bad at math in my head there's no way i could do it oh no that's that's right okay well 20 that's 20 minutes that makes me feel a little bit better yeah but, and in, in any case it was a big interruption and at the end of it i was like kind of fried like just didn't have much bandwidth left so i didn't really like look at our job board <laughs> uh -huh. to see what was next sure so that was one thing i got behind on programming because of that secondly we um this is another topic of how to handle change orders, but we 
we had some change or it's not entirely the customer's fault for sure. We had some change orders that used up material that we thought we had for an upcoming job Mm -hmm. and didn't note that or order more. And so then I went to run a job that was already pre-programmed to repeat and there was no material. Damn. So the next job scheduled for that, all the next jobs scheduled that for that machine required a lot of programming. Um, one other machine ran much faster through a job than I thought because it was on the gripper and I hadn't actually done the math on how long it would take. I was like, oh, it's 200 parts. It's going to take a little while. And then it was done in like four hours. And I was like, ah, okay. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, and then another one was just, I, I knew it was going to finish, but the other stuff got me so bogged down that I didn't get ahead in programming that. Yeah. So it was, I mean, it's just interesting to see, like, if you had a big, a big shop with, you know, a lot of quote unquote inventory and all of these stages, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't have noticed this delay. Right. Because you'd always have parts to run and you'd always have tons of stock. Yeah. But those kind of those, the issues in those systems would still exist. So I thought it was interesting just to see how, how obvious it was when when these things kind of coalesced and they're definitely making me think about how to improve yeah. every aspect of those processes like right. really giving me a kick in the pants to uh to figure some of these yeah things out. so i think some really important pieces there for sure one is just like surfacing problems is a good thing yeah and i think the the knee-jerk reaction is you had too little inventory we should have bigger, like more inventory, right? We need more buffers everywhere, clearly, so we never have this problem again. Yeah. Instead of being aware of the fact that the goal is to have these problems. And that is explicitly (laughs) the goal. I was listening. Or uh, to surface these problems and then correct. Yeah. So there was a Toyota plant in the US and one month they had like 98 or 99% uptime, like they didn't stop the line. Yeah. And the manager came in and said like the whatever not manager whoever it was at toyota higher up came in and said like hey you're not stopping the line so every production process has problems so you're hiding your problems (laughs) right like you need to be stopping the line more yeah (laughs) that was very interesting yeah um yeah that's a bunch of a bunch of like i don't know i'm trying to think if there's like one root cause and it but basically comes down to what we were just talking about about like prioritizing tasks and then like sort of visual controls like i was like your stock the fact that it was not visually apparent when you went to get it yeah that it was not visually apparent that it was already tied to a job that was scheduled yeah seems like we're tackling that so this was a job that got initially scheduled before we started doing our little job stickers okay um so i want to believe that that will Oh, got it. So it would Help have that. a sticker on it. And then if you went to get it, you'd be like, wait a second. Yeah. Let me go figure out when this job is meant to run and if we can realistically steal the stock. Yeah. So from uh, <clears throat> starting a couple of weeks ago, every every stock that comes in moving forward has a sticker on it that says what job it's assigned to. Um, assuming we do our ordering correctly, you know, that shouldn't be easy to mess up. Were you going to say something? I was going to say, if you had really fast changeovers, like really fast changeovers or universal, like, and truly standardized tooling across those two jobs, you could hypothetically 
flip-flop between the two, right? Right. Run one hour on part one that was originally scheduled and then one hour on part two that was like the change order and sort of satisfy both and have the same runtime while you resupply in uh, mm. materials. So you'd sort of satisfy both customers mm-hmm. potentially, which is the reason to read the book Smed. <laughs> no, no. I mean, there's a really, you know, I don't know. Yeah. We don't have machines that hold a ton of tools, so that can often be a problem. Yeah. Um, it could be realistic sometimes. Yeah. Within a customer, it, I think, so, well, totally depends on the customer. Right. Yeah. This particular customer, we do some of that. Like, actually, this last, the, the week prior leading up to that, we had a fixture detonate. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Spicy. Yeah. We were using those ID Oh yeah, yeah. Expansion clamps. Yeah. And small ones. And they were real whittled down, like very little material left just because of the size of the hole they were going into and kind of like the way they work their size ranges. Oh, they weren't whittled down from use. No, they were whittled down by design, by design. Okay. Gotcha. But still not much material. <laughs> yeah. We're running a new part on them that I think I was just being a little too aggressive basically. And it just fractured all the little wings on the ID oh, clamps. Wow. Yeah. They just like, we like all of a sudden there was just this sound and all three of us in the shop were like, what is going <laughs> on? And it was literally just like, Loose. it was, it, well, it was still clamped essentially, but the only thing attaching it was the little expansion screw. Uh-huh. So it couldn't come off, Oh geez, but it was, it was rattling around like terrible. Something fierce. I don't know. Yeah. So that was, but that was kind of a cool situation to be like, okay, it's bit you know we did do a changeover in like 20 minutes from that yeah. part to another part within the same family that we also needed to run only 10 minutes to go to get to single minute yeah <laughs> no. and then uh and then we were able to switch back on monday when the the new id clamps came oh, nice. in and it, you know it wasn't the worst thing in the world but it so was, you don't have those stocked spares. The id clamps yeah i do not it was an experimental fixture yeah that was working quite well and so there was no explicit transition to a fixture that you're going to go use on um, an ongoing like production basis. No, there was not. A, it was not explicit. I think we will continue to use this just yeah. with some lessons learned <laughs> yeah. about how we program for it. Um, the Google Home decided to listen in on our conversation. Oh, hello. It turned its lights on. That's kind of <laughs> weird. I'm going to unplug it. Um. Yeah, I'm not sure I have any like super deep like conclusions from that aside from it's it's very cool to uh, yeah, just I guess just bringing up the how do we view these failures and how do we move forward from them? The what you brought up before, the knee-jerk reaction of adding buffer instead of being like, okay, so if I had this big quote package come in, how do I handle that in a way that it's not interruptive to the rest of the flow in the shop? Do I need to change how I prioritize it? Do I need to alter my quoting methodology? Um, Do I need to, instead of batching this, do I need to spread it out over a week where I do one part a day kind of a thing in a a way that is preventing me from doing that? Yeah. Yes. All that. And the other piece is, I think often the knee jerk reaction of adding stock the interesting piece there is it actually just um, increases the time between failures of running out. It doesn't actually solve the problem of running out, mm-hmm. which I think like 
people often go like, oh, we ran out of toilet paper. We should buy more next time. It's like, well, you're going to run out again if right. you don't address the how does this get restocked in a systemized yeah. way? <laughs> and so it's not actually a solution, even if people think it is right to just have more of the thing. It's like, OK, so we'll a pay more for rent, more for management, more for like less cash turn through the business. Yeah. And we'll still run out. Yeah. <laughs> it's just forestalling the inevitable. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, I'm wondering if we should kick that to next week just because of the time. Um, and then jump into some improvements. Yeah. Um, what time are we at here? Yeah, we should kick it to next week. <clears throat> um, So um, I guess we'll jump into some improvements we've made in the shop today. Uh, not this today, but this week. Yeah. Um, do you want to start off? Sure. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> like I said, we were a little bit underwater, so I felt like I wasn't doing a whole lot of improving, but yeah. actually we did some stuff. One was uh, tried 3D printed gripper fingers for the first time, which very was nice. very cool. I'm a little curious how it's going to hold up with our particular coolant. Uh huh. But we didn't see any issues over that was like a 200 part run. Um, I haven't like done a like a you know a full breakdown inspection or anything, but the parts ran good and I peeked in there and they hadn't like melted into nothingness or anything. Yeah. Um, I think that's going to open up some for us specifically. I think that's going to open some doors for automating more parts. Mm -hmm. Um, not to get too into the weeds, but just allowing us to easily pick up finished parts with odd shapes after a second operation or when they're complete. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, we did implement the lathe counter, the lathe parts counter, Oh, cool! which was, uh, simple. <laughs> I just hadn't done it. And how, what was the effect? Um, we can track it now. It, there's still some things we need to do. One is that I don't have the M code for it set up in my post. So I have to manually put it in and I forgot gotcha, on gotcha. one parts run. So Coram came over and he's like, why does this say we have zero parts done? And I was like, ah, <laughs> I guess we're going to keep counting. Interesting. And um, so the problem you noticed, <clears throat> uh, maybe we should, the problem you noticed with the lathe was that yeah. there was a lot of counting yeah. happening at the lathe. Yeah. And so that was sort of the solution to a lot of counting or a lot of just overproduction of it, just like running parts that we didn't need because no one had counted yet. And they just stuck another bar in and it uh -huh. you know, runs another 30 parts or however many are in a bar for that particular part. Gotcha. One aspect of it that I don't love, which I uh, didn't realize was so great uh, on the brother machines until we didn't have it, was that it doesn't stop when it gets to the... Oh. But that might be a parameter change. You could probably write an if statement. Potentially. Yeah, I'm sure we could. That's like, check this. But at that point, yeah, I yeah. could see that. Um. So that I don't love, but it's still better than nothing. Because at least you can walk up and check the number. <clears throat> yeah. And have a live number. Yeah. So I'm going to ping the distributor and see if that's a thing that we can change. If that's mm -hmm. just a parameter switch to make it stop when it gets to the desired quantity. And then the last thing, which I'm kind of excited about, was the cycle start uh oh yeah indicators <laughs> so you want to talk about the problem you noticed there yeah it actually not, wasn't an uh actual problem but i could s foresee the problem okay um i don't think we ever had an 
actually that's not true we did i think one time i was uh, i noticed that a tool had so like ariel was running parts on a machine mm-hmm. i happened to check it noticed that a tool needed replacing i pulled the tool oh no <clears throat> it was a heat shrink tool okay so i swapped it and then i uh, you know, we do our little like dunk and then run yeah. into the sink to cool. So when it's in the sink, it's in the bathroom. You can't see it. Um, so I, it was co- The tool was cooling. Ariel came by, saw it. The machine was open, flipped the part, hit cycle start. Luckily it wasn't the first tool. So it wasn't a, it didn't uh-huh. actually cause a problem. Uh-huh. But I had to be like, Oh, wait, 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 wait. Um, <clears throat> I think it only happened once, but there's been quite a few. And now that there's three of us in the shop and we all kind of like, not so much me, but occasionally we'll all start a machine again when if we notice that it's stopped and someone the person yeah. who's sort of assigned to it is busy. Um, there's been a few times where I've I've pulled a tool to swap it and then I like run around to everybody and be like, Don't start that. Right. Don't start that. Um and I just wanted to get away from that. Yeah. So I think more broadly, and then I feel like your your solution was extremely simple, devilishly simple. <laughs> um more broadly, like anytime there is a station or a tool or a process yeah. that can be in different states, it should it, it should be easy for people to communicate what state that station is in yeah. without walking around to tell everyone like, hey, yeah. don't use the lawnmower today because I yeah. drained the oil but don't have more oil <laughs> or yeah, whatever. Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my solution was I made a little magnetic cap uh that goes over the cycle start button and mm-hmm. sticks there it's red so it's pretty obvious that that means don't go and the red one um is completely covered so you physically can't push the button you'd have to remove it to push the cycle start button then i also made a yellow one that is open on the top so you can push the cycle start button so that indicates that someone is setting the machine up okay because you need to be able to push the button for tool setting and, that's clever and probing and stuff yeah. but i still want it to be obvious that it's not ready to go and then today i'm gonna put i'm gonna make green ones that are the same as the yellow one mm. but that will be an explicit i'm done setting this machine up it is now free to be run i like that because if you only did the ye- red and yellow it's ambiguous whether someone just forgot to change the tool yeah. or sorry, forgot to change the signal. <clears throat> and exactly. so now I guess the standard is if there's no signal on the button, don't run the machine, go find out what it is. Yeah. And that was kind of the conversation we had uh, was they were both like, well, isn't it just like if there's no thing, it's just good to go. And I'm kind of like, but what if I forget? Right. I, I forget things all the time. What if you forget? Yeah. That kind of comes back to the poke yoke thing where they, what was it? They changed the name from like mistake proofing to error proofing because the assumption that they changed the term. Yeah. Cause like the, in the, uh, I think it was, wasn't it idiot proofing or no, it wasn't that blunt, <laughs> but it was something where it made people feel bad. Well, it sort of implied that some people don't make mistakes. Oh. Um, and, and that it was like, yeah, that it was just sort of like oriented towards the people that do make mistakes hmm. when the reality is we all make mistakes or we all make errors. Right. And so changing it to error proofing is like basically just being realistic about the fact that it's going to happen. Yeah. And I think it's important also if it isn't happening, it's because the person is exerting a huge amount of mental like <laughs> yeah. like attention. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like super vigilant. Like, you know, when you like start a new job and you're like, all right, got to <laughs> do this well. And yeah. And then later you 
relax. That's, that's, that's really nice. I actually saw you did that and I was like, that makes so much sense. So I only have the red one so far. Yeah. Um, and I ordered, uh, more colors of 3d printed filament. Uh-huh. I've been on a big color coding yeah. supplies <laughs> ordering kick. They're yeah. so cheap and they're awesome. Yeah. Um, I know. Yeah. So that was kind of our thing for the week. Uh, aside from those yeah. sound like we we're mostly noticing problems this last yeah. week. <laughs> Interesting. That's a whole nother conversation about how to log problems that we're sort of running into mm-hmm. in a way that is easy to sort. Yeah. And find and they don't get lost and you don't end up doing double entries. Yeah. <laughs> all that. Uh-huh. And how do we have a certain limit of numbers of items on the board before we just like stop production and like spend a whole day just running through those. I don't know. Anyway. Interesting. It's a whole thing. Um, So what do you got? Yeah. So this week um, we had one very simple one. So we noticed that our bins that circulate between our shipping station and our assembly station um, sometimes would go on the shoot the wrong way. So facing the wrong way. And so then it was sort of non-standardized. And so then the, you can't sort of like just build a habit of how you move because the bins were coming down the chute sort of all different ways. Uh Um, And anyway, yeah. So I think instead of going and talking to everyone and being like, Hey guys, like this needs to happen. Like it's important. Um, The best part is I didn't make this improvement. Um, (laughs) Sam uh, just put a label that has an arrow it just says like bin front and there's an oh, arrow. Uh-huh. Um, and so now at least the information is there about which way they do go, which is nice. Um, I was wondering how I've been thinking about how to make it more obvious, which way they go instead of having to read. They're the, <clears throat> are they the ones with like the tapered front? Yeah. And do they go in sideways or they go in endways? They go in sideways. So I was thinking about doing just, a cardboard cutout yeah. on the front of the chute. Um, but then was wondering if mentally it would be really clear which way they go, or you'd have to look at it and do some spatial reasoning. Um, that seems like, but maybe that's fine or is a label better? Or I was also wondering if the most, this is probably getting too, (laughs) but, but it was sort of an interesting thought. I was also then wondering about coloring one side of the bin and putting a matching colored rail on one side of the chute. Oh yeah. Because that feels less tricky mentally to to rotate an object to figure out how it fits through shape now granted i feel like this is a thing we give to babies to do i was just gonna say it's kind of like a square pig in a square hole (laughs) yeah it's like put the shapes in the right (laughs) hole i i feel like we're pretty good at doing that like mindlessly more or less but so actually i read a study on um rotating shapes in your head Uh and basically it takes a certain like you're you're essentially rotating it in your head. Yeah. Meaning that the more degrees of rotation you have to do, the uh-huh. longer it takes. Oh, uh, interesting. Um, and then the other piece was there was an experiment of adding color to an object that you have to spatially rotate in your head. And people who are really bad at like mental um, rotations of like objects um, yeah. relied on the colors basically and were able to do it a lot faster with the color. Oh, interesting. So I was kind of like, maybe color is good. The so, thing is we're running into a problem of just like, what does color mean in our shop? And is it standard across the shop or is it not? Or like, I think the bigger question here is like, why are they coming in not already in the right direction? 
Well, you lift them off of the scale onto the shoe. Well, another question is maybe we just need uh, symmetrical bins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <there laughs> right. <you go. laughs> Put them in anyway, and it's right. There you go. Hmm. Yeah. Let's ask why a few more times. They're really cheap bins. Uh, you should get shallower bins. Interesting. The, those little ones yeah. that are. Uh, huh. Because they're also on a standardized grid spacing. Right. So you might find lots of other uses for them in the shop. Interesting. Well, this is a good time to look at that because we're about to. Yeah. They don't stack though, which you do okay. seem to do some stacking, but uh, that's also. Not really. Okay. Yeah. We're moved away from stacking. I think that's smart. Very interesting. Um, yeah. And it tips easily if you mess something right. up. <clears throat> yeah. Shallow bins are symmetrical. Okay. So maybe look for symmetrical bins. Multitude of sizes. Maybe constrain the bin through the whole process so you don't have to reorient it. That is a, another question. Why is it getting reoriented? Yeah. And thinking about it, I think we have to change the shipping station. You, so the shoe you feeds right down onto the scale. Okay. Well, yeah. If we're asking why enough times, <laughs> yeah. Why are we weighing is because we haven't taken the time to build out a very accurate model in our website of the weights of every single product, which considering the very few number of products we do is somewhat inexcusable. <laughs> um, it is a little bit, I don't know. I like tried to do it and messed it up and, uh, you know, was, <laughs> I should revisit that. <laughs> My takeaway is, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, I don't know if it fixes the bin orientation problem, but it, it probably is a step. better improvement than standardizing that would be yeah well good call um <laughs> yeah uh, that's funny yeah i mean this is good good to talk about um so let's see what else do we have oh yeah so this is a tricky one we just um we're working on a new product that is going to use stainless pins yeah we're going to offer it in stainless and titanium yeah titanium is lighter but substantially more expensive yeah um, so now we have identical parts in stainless and titanium, uh -huh. which are different weights for sure. But if you're picking up one pin, it is hard to tell. Yeah. Uh, so I'm kind of trying to figure out how to deal with this in the shop before it goes live. Cause I feel like it could be just the sorting making sure they stay separate. So we run it on the same tooling in the mill. Yeah. Like everything's the same except the material. Like they look the same virtually. Yeah. And so just like making sure that batches come out of the mill, marked, go to a place that is marked. And then the bigger issue is like, if anything ever, I don't know, it just seems like a small slip up could so easily go wrong and ship the wrong pins to the wrong people. Well, how are you tracking your other product? I mean, they always have Kanban cards with them. So okay. that that is a solution. But like even at the assembly station, it would be so easy to reach for the wrong bin. Like in your head, it's a pin. Yeah. I don't know if there are different color bins. Yeah, maybe go back to color and like make it. I mean, hmm. I guess my my knee jerk is to say like, this isn't a situation that's unique to the pins. It's just like appears unique to the pins. 
I think it appears unique because they're not visually distinguishable. And yeah. so it just seems really challenging. I, I know it's not a problem that's like a big, pro- like people have solved this problem. People deal with this all the time. Yeah. I would say, I mean, the simplest thing would just be like, distinguish them in space. Like don't put them next to each other. Hmm. So that it's, uh, so you're having to make sort of a more conscious choice. Right. Then you're sacrificing <laughs> every assembly process. Are you? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I, I hmm. Sorry, I'm just pausing because I'm just trying to think this. No, I, I know. I was like talk. looking at it. I don't know. It's a tricky one. Assuming that I guess this comes back to standard operating procedure. Assuming people are reading or, or following a standard operating procedure for assembly. Mm-hmm. This shouldn't be an issue. And so it just comes down to how are you defining that information that they follow? So maybe it, it, maybe you don't treat them as a unique thing, but you color code every part of an assembly somehow or another. Yeah, we've started started doing that. I think the issue comes back to uh, ship station, which is what's generating the order slip. Mm. And we haven't, maybe I can color code it. And then we need a thermal printer that does color. Or we do it on the screen still. If it had color, that would help. What if you have a lot of different color buckles too? Yeah. And then so having color a lot of variations. on colors is kind of a funny <laughs> thing. Yeah. Which we've already run into a little bit. Huh. Um, so that will be for continued consideration. Um, uh, these aren't, let's see. What if there was some kind of like a little block like a like a physical barricade yeah that paused caused the the assembly person to make a choice before grabbing interesting almost like a window that you slide left or right and one is like stainless and the other is titanium something like that maybe you have to so you have to choose that's an interesting idea it's you know it's kind of one of those things that's like annoying because you're adding time to your process but if it saves defects and rework yeah it's probably worth there's a it. lot of work that goes into shipping a bad order yeah to yeah both in terms of like customer satisfaction making them make them feel like we care and uh-huh will attend to it what about this to emails i'm not sure how this would work but what if you had like um what if you had sliding windows for each of your kind of like variations? Mm-hmm. And so somebody looked at the order and Slides they slid, slid the windows to something that was very easily uh, visible for each of the different variables. Right. And then you just pick from what's visible. So like you're choosing I like that a lot. Instead of choosing by looking at the product, you choose by looking at like your pre-selected options and then the product is made visible to them. I like that a lot. Um, I feel like that's a a nice combination of the things we'd been considering, which was like, I I don't know if you remember, I was talking about like adding LEDs to illuminate under each one, but like physical obstruction is better than LEDs. Yeah. Um, And then I was thinking about making like an easy analog that is sort of a memory tool, but you're sort of like, well, combine those two. Uh And your memory tool is slide the window to expose the product you're trying to. Yeah. Interesting. We could also do one window and then a rotating carousel behind each window. And then you rotate to the. 
Uh-huh. That might be harder. Oh, kind of like the, you know, do you remember like, I don't even know if they have them anymore, but like in old school lumber yards. Begging to be motorized. <laughs> old school like lumber yards and, um, and hardware stores, they'd have the rotating bins full yeah. of nails where you yeah. get bulk nails. Right. And if you had that where. Behind a window. Behind a window. And then you just, yeah. And it was labeled. Right. So you couldn't do it on an automatic. That would actually be easy to. If you wanted to make it electrical and motorized yeah, as well, you could program cool. it very quickly. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. And you'd have like one for. Something makes me think that the pins, uh, cams, and the inertia of the product is a lot higher than the inertia of like a window. So it might make sense to move the window because I'm imagining like spinning that thing all day back and forth and back <laughs> and forth. Yeah, it probably um, comes down to like physical layout and the engineering challenge of it. Yeah. Interesting. Something to think about. Um, we don't have much time. I like that though. Yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, we've been thinking a lot about um, moving our station, our assembly station and just some other stations up into the loft, which means a redesign, which means an opportunity to think about what we're trying to achieve. The big thing that we're sort of thinking about, which gets to our conversation in previous weeks about flex and how to deal with peaks and valleys in your production. And so our cells were trying to design so that they're optimized for one person, but can easily move to two person yeah. cells to double their throughput. Um, but anyway, so I've been thinking a lot about that. That's not an explicit improvement. I heard a great term Ohio, which is only handle it once. I think um, that is like <clears throat> going back to the early, early like question of like what, what to do. It, Cheap as, as a noob and like cheap improvements, just do everything with that in mind. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I heard that in relation to email, which I think is brilliant. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, hard to execute. I mean, not hard to execute. Uh, take some discipline to look at an email and not open it until you're ready to yeah. fully handle it. Um, I, I take that like I, I don't know. It is a hard balance sometimes, but in machining strategy. Yeah. I'll go a long ways to make it so that we don't handle the part more times in terms of like flipping the part for machining, flipping or? the part machine to machine, all of that kind of stuff. Like interesting, slower, slower process that will result in less person yeah. handling is almost always better. Yeah. To the point where I don't know if you've watched the shop tour that uh, Saunders did of um, Metal Quest, I think it was. I didn't get through the whole thing, but I've watched most okay, of it. Okay, they had an outlandish number of 90 degree uh, milling heads. Oh, yeah. Which are like, I think, $6,000 a piece easily, like uh -huh. 6 to 12, depending on the size. Yeah. Which seems expensive, but they are so gung-ho. Right. And they, I mean, they do huge volumes, but yeah, it's like, can we do this in one setup and really one setup? And it is so beneficial. Well, and if, if you, you think can. about, like, I think it, related to their product but the cost of that versus the cost of a fourth axis which can do the same kind of thing because weren't they running those on three axis machines primarily um i don't remember i thought they were running them on on horizontals hmm. i think they run them across their shop i think it's gotcha. just like if they can eliminate another setup yeah do it doesn't matter how expensive <laughs> that tool is i mean to a point probably but um that kind of harkens back to a, a phrase I heard recently, which was just that like, and this is a good thing to keep in mind just across the board is that operational costs, Trump capital costs. Huh? Always Trump as in 
as in you need to prioritize reducing operational costs over prioritizing if if you can gotcha. if you can spend capital even though it's painful in the moment and seems terrifying to reduce overall ongoing ca- uh, operational costs like so probably if you were to plug their little right angle head things into your your mm. fancy spreadsheet for like return on investment it's like 3 days probably very good <laughs> um, no, yeah, but, yeah. No. Um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So Ohio only handle it once. I I like that and it's stuck in my head. Um, so I've been trying to apply it. Um, okay. We have a few more, but we're at like an hour and a half. So maybe I'll just kick those next week. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds good. All right. Cool. Well, I think that's it for the week. Um, that's it. Thanks to everyone who's followed us on Instagram. That is, um incremental ci is our username or whatever it's called on instagram um (laughs) at our at (laughs) um please follow us and tag us in improvements so we can share them um with everyone else and we can all sort of get inspired and uh see the different simple things people are doing that seem simple but still need to be done um and it's um it's now on apple podcasts if you've been listening to this on a platform that you dislike oh yeah then you prefer apple you can switch back or if you've been sending it to a friend and they are like uh sorry can't listen to it i don't have spotify now you can and speaking of which please do send it to your friends um (laughs) and yeah i think that's about it so until next week all right have a good one